In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've reached, by God's grace, the turning point of the fast. Yesterday was St. Spirit on the Wonder Worker, and he is one of our great saints of the Church. And the Church, in her wisdom, has said, this is the point at which we gear up for the Nativity. We have had fish as a part of the fast, and now we turn into a more strict fast, like that of Lent. Even though this is a joyful feast of Nativity, we still prepare our bodies, we prepare our entire person for this great feast. Now the church encourages us to take this more seriously. This, like any fasting season, is also a season of confession. We look into our souls and we find sin, we find our woundedness. It's fitting then that today St. Paul seems to list off what sounds like a confession, a list of all these different sins that many of us can relate to. He says, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul talk, and lying. Sounds a lot like a confession list. We might say, I don't know if that's my confession, Father, but nonetheless a confession list. I'd like to read through these a little bit more so that we can see ourselves in what St. Paul is saying, rather than just thinking of this as a list for people who are out there, maybe those people in the Colossians 2,000 years ago. The first that he mentions is fornication. Now that's a word that we all don't like to use much. The Greek word is pornia, which might sound a little bit more familiar to some English cognates. This is anything outside of marital union, by ourselves, with another person, virtually, in person, whatever it may be. As our Lord says, whoever looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery. When we hear the word fornication, we might think, oh, well, that's those people. But when we understand it in its fullness and its completeness, we see that this is something that is a very unfortunately common sin within our society. There's entire industries that are built upon this, and Orthodox Christians are not immune to that by any means. The next that he mentions is impurity, akatharistisan, which is the opposite of clean during the first week of late, Great Lent, it's called Clean Week. Katharadevtera means Clean Monday. And the opposite of this is uncleanness. So when we talk about impurity, we look at Great Lent as that time in which we are cleansing ourselves. We are washing away all of the sin. St. Paul is talking about the opposite of that. And then he gets more broad because he says after that, passion. Now, passion is not in the common colloquial sense of like something that you're excited about, something that you're really good at, like uh, fishing or something else like that. Passion, as we understand within the church, means a desire that is God-given that has been distorted. So we have this God-given desire, which is called hunger, and this is so that we can feed our bodies. The distortion of that variously called gluttony or other things, is when we turn this God-given desire, this hunger within us, into something that 
causes us to bring in things that are harmful to our body, to eat too much, to eat too many sugars, to eat fats, all these different things that are not good for our bodies. So we've distorted it, and that's what we call a passion. So St. Paul is talking about any sort of passions. And indeed, all of the virtues have their corresponding passion, which is the, the negative side of that virtue. And then St. Paul goes on to say evil desire, which is similar to passion. What we see here is St. Paul is purposely trying to be redundant in his list. He's trying to stress to us all of the different ways in which we're falling into sin. He continues on. So at the beginning, he says to put all of these things to death. And then later on, he says, now put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk. Anger is a very broad one indeed. That, the Greek word is orgi, and it can be from any cause. We have anger because of other passions. Someone else has something that we want, we have envy, and so anger rises up inside of us. Or our ego is wounded because of what someone says, and so anger rises up once again inside of us. Anger is almost the surest sign that there's some sort of passion involved in there. Something deeper under that. Anger itself isn't the problem. The problem is whatever is causing the anger within us. And again, St. Paul is redundant and he says wrath. Anger and wrath. We think of those as so similar. But what is the difference between anger and wrath? In wrath, there's action. There's retaliation. There's always something. Someone has done something to me and now I do the action back at them. I am going to attack, go on to the attack because someone has attacked me. And then he says malice, which the Greek word is kakian. It means anything bad, anything bad that we would want to do to someone, any sort of uh, anger that we approach towards someone that causes us to act, this is the malice that we do. And slander, as we all know, is when we say anything about anyone that is negative. Even about our own loved ones, we can slander them. We can speak to our children about how someone else is doing this or that, or we can speak to our spouses about how our children are this way or that way. So many ways in which we slander. And foul talk needs no explanation. That means all the bad words that we let out of our mouth. Most often without any sort of thought, many times without any sort of remorse. And lastly, he says, do not lie to one another. So we have this long list, and we don't need to focus on this list too much. I just wanted to draw ourselves into that list, because sometimes in St. Paul's epistles, he lists off all these different sins, and we sort of say, oh, that's those people there. We don't think of it as ourselves. But now we see how those Colossians 2,000 years ago don't seem all that different from us. You see, sin is not creative. Sin is very mundane, very uncreative. It may seem shocking in our own lives, but it's really not very shocking. It's not. I say this to people all the time. Pretty much you could never confess something that I haven't already heard. Sin is not interesting. Sin is not new and creative. Only God is creative. And so sin has this redundancy, this repetition that we see again and again in our own lives and again and again in the lives of others around us. 
These same sins that St. Paul lists are the stuff of our own confessions. Three times St. Paul says, put to death. Then he says, put away. And then he says, put off. He's saying again and again, get rid of these things. But the fact that he says that three different times, when he's saying that in contrast to our life in Christ, when we appear before him in glory, when we are renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator, these are the things that we have to get rid of. But it's hard work, and this is why he has to say it again and again. And this is hardly the only time that St. Paul says this in his epistles. He's constantly encouraging the people to turn away from these things that are ensnaring them and enslaving them. So he's trying to get us to rise up against the old man. And he even mentions that, although this translation says the old nature. It's the old man that is trying to rise up inside of us. Our fallen human nature that we have killed off in baptism. And yet it keeps on trying to resurrect. And so we are putting it to death. And that's why he says, put to death this. We have to kill it. And this is why our, our spiritual life feels difficult, feels painful. Sometimes our sins are like that game in the arcades where the, the moles or the frogs keep popping up and you keep on hitting them down again and again. As soon as you hit one down, another one pops up and you're trying to cross your hands, trying to stop all of this. We keep falling and we're ashamed. We are all ashamed. In our shame, we go back and forth between trying to ignore or excuse our sins or falling into despair. Either of these paths are the paths that the devil is happy with. We cover up our sins, we excuse them, we blame other people, or we actually see them for what they are and we fall into despair. Neither of these are the paths that we should desire as Christians. We don't like to confess because we don't want to feel exposed. It's our shame. Like Adam and Eve, they wanted to hide behind the bushes from God. And so we try to do the same thing. We run away from confession, try not to do it, keep putting it off. And then when we're there, we say, well, these are the circumstances around which this occurred. And this is why I'm trying to explain it. We do all of this because of our shame, because we fear judgment. Judgment by the priest, judgment by God. Sometimes we come to confess like that old song, trying to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. But this is not a good confession. It's our shame that is trying to make everything rosy when it's really not. When there's a stench and we're trying to put the cap on it, put the top on the garbage. In our shame, we view God as the judge who eagerly condemns. We must not fall into this. This is a trap of the evil one. We don't go to confession for judgment. We go to confession for healing. God is our doctor. When we see God as the judge, how do you think that we talk about our sins? We're trying to get off the hook. We're trying to express our innocence. We're trying to say, I got this figured out. Don't worry, I'm going to do better at this. It's not something, you know, it's someone else's fault. Just like you're standing before a judge. And this is how we so often come into confession. Because our shame makes us feel like we're being judged. And I want to be very clear about this. Confession is not for judgment. 
Judgment day will come. Confession is not that. Confession is our time with the doctor. When we go to a doctor, we say, here's the problem. And the doctor says, what else? And we say, oh, here's the problem over here too. And this is what it looks like. And this is how it feels. We don't say, oh, it's okay. It's not that bad. I don't know why I even came in here. I'm good. I can walk out now. We must remember confession as going to the doctor's office, not going to the judge. It completely informs the way in which we approach this. Because you see, even though I'm talking about all these sins and it sounds very heavy, I want to tell you something of joy. The joy is, and we know this, God already knows our sins. He already knows all of our sins. He knows the things that we don't even know. We know this in our head, but in our heart we come into confession like, I still got to cover it up. I still got to explain why it's not really my fault. And God is there, and he wants to heal, and we rob him of the opportunity to heal us. Because if God is the one that knows our sins, we might say, well, why does God want us to confess? It's a good question. Why does he want us to confess if he already knows our sins? Because he wants permission. He wants permission to enter into our soul and do the healing, the surgery that he desires to do. So when we come to confession, we don't give him permission because we say, oh, well, this is the reason why, and this isn't that bad, and all of these different ways. What are we doing? We're covering up something God already knows, like Adam and Eve putting on the fig leaf, and then we're saying it's all okay, and then we're denying God the opportunity to heal us. Because he will respect our freedom. If we don't want to be healed, he won't heal us. Because there's another thing that we must remember when our sins seem so shocking, or so much turning us towards despair, the other thing we have to remember is that God is the one revealing them to us. Not only does God know all of our sins, he's the one that's revealing it to us. So now if he's the judge, that's really messed up. He's smearing it in our face. If we think in that way, it's completely messed up. We understand that God is the doctor. He's the one saying, here, what about this right here? Did you know that you have this right here? I want to heal this. So when we have our sin revealed to us, we feel ashamed. We might feel shocked and horrified because that's not the person I thought that I was. All of these different feelings inside of us that make us want to push it away and cover it up. But God's the one that's doing that. God is the one that's revealing it to us because he wants to heal it. We must view confession in the right way because this is what will make us run to confession. If you knew you had cancer, wouldn't you run to the oncologist? Would you say, no, it's probably not cancer. You know, it's probably fine. Of course not. We must look at confession in the right way, otherwise we run away from it. So when we're confessing, we are giving God permission to do the healing. This is so crucial to our salvation. This brings us to the gospel today. In the gospel, the Lord says this parable about a banquet and all the people that make excuses. 
And we must admit that the excuses are pretty laughable, are they not? All of them, especially the third one. I have a wife. He doesn't even give a reason. Just I have a wife. You understand. I can't go. Now, if we we're talking about a meal, this would all, be, this would all make perfect sense, their the reasonings. Wouldn't it? Like, you know, the meal is nice. However, I've got some work that I need to do, so I can't go to the meal. But it's a parable. And so we know that this is not talking about a meal. This is talking about eternal life, blessedness, and the kingdom of God at the eternal banquet with all of the saints and all of the righteous people before all time. That's the banquet we're talking about. And we know that. And then we hear these excuses and we say, how ridiculous. The people are stuck within their own way and they can't see the big picture. And so they say no. And this is where it comes to us. Because if we imagine that somehow we're going to be the people out in the highways and hedges, the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame that are all called by God into the eternal kingdom, don't delude yourself. This parable is here for us every year at this time. We hear this parable so that we can see how we are the ones that are making excuses. We are the ones who are saying, this thing is more important to me. Because when it comes back to confession and giving God permission to do the healing inside of us, let's be honest, some of those wounds, some of the stench and the festering, we don't really want to get rid of. We really like ourselves the way we are. I'm happy to be angry at that person. I hate them so much, I don't even want to talk with anyone about letting that anger go. I just want to hold on to it like my little precious gift, my little gem. Or when I am looking around, looking at other people's things, I'm content to do that. And this is Christmas. This is the season in which America goes after everything they can get, as many things as they can get their hands on. And we go right along with that. Maybe I'll read the, uh, the gospel a little bit differently. And the third one said... I have to go out and do my Christmas shopping. I pray that I may be given leave of this banquet. This gospel is for us. It is for us to see that the hard and painful process that St. Paul talks about, putting this off, killing it, putting it away, this process is essential to our salvation because if we don't do it now, we won't do it then. Don't imagine that you're going to do this 180. You're going to become someone different. You are who you are. So now is the time in which we can shed all of that pain and woundedness and sickness that is inside of us so that when we come and stand before the judge who desires our salvation, who is working towards our salvation, we'll actually say, yes, I want to join you. Not, no, thank you. I have other things. I have things that are more important to me. Any of you have read a wonderful book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It gives a very vivid picture of what it's like for people who really don't want God in an eternal sense. They're stuck in their ways. And this is how we are. My brothers and sisters, today we commemorate St. Herman of Alaska. And he has this wonderful quote. He says, from this day forth, from this very hour, this very minute, let us love God above all, 
and seek to accomplish his holy will. I submit to you that the beginning of that is in confession. As much as we want to fulfill the commandments of our Lord, it's actually the opposite that we need to do. We need to repent of the lack of filling his commandments. This is how we begin to fill his commandments. I can't begin to be a peaceful person until I repent of my anger. I can't begin to be a compassionate person until I repent of my own self-love and everything that I want. I can't begin to be a person who doesn't have possessiveness until I repent of all of my possessiveness. This is the way that we fulfill the commandments, is through first and foremost coming to confession before our Lord, both in our own prayers and in the sacraments of confession, and saying to God, here is the wound, fix it. And by God's grace, may we be healed. Amen. <clears throat>